This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio. All right. Welcome. It is Leadership in Action, and it is Business Radio here on SiriusXM Channel 132. I'm Jeff Klein. I'm the executive director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program here at the Wharton School. Uh, and what a treat. I'm in the co I'm I'm in the room in the studio with both my co-hosts, Mike Usim and Ann Greenhall. We are a team, Jeff. We are. The band is back. All right. Fantastic. So it's it's December mm. at the university. <laughs> yes, it is. Huh? And a little Comment. cold. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a little cold. There was an implied ellipsis within <laughs> okay. all of that. Dot, right? dot, dot. And yeah. over to you. Yeah. Well, that means students are wrapping up classes. And uh, so we're coming to what I like to think of as a crescendo of a close to the semester. Fantastic. It also reminds me of a leadership point I did not understand as an undergraduate at University of Michigan by showing up for exams and meeting paper deadlines at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And at the end of every semester, right now, I swore that would never happen again. The followers <laughs> think long term. But anyway, I didn't get the lesson uh, at that time. It, it took a couple of years. But uh, there is something about this moment now with papers due and exams coming up. Uh, you really got to get organized. You got to discipline yourself. You got to think longer term. Yeah. Well, and what what it means for faculty members, and I'm looking at at two <laughs> people <laughs> actively teaching. Some grading coming your way, right? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> dot dot dot. Is that dot, mean? Dot, dot, yeah. Yes. Is that yeah? Is that yeah cruel that's and true. Unusual punishment. In some ways, because as I told my TAs. I am on the end of the line. Right. <laughs> yeah. I need you to do your job so that I can do mine right. and the students will know how they how they did. It yes. Is, it is. I hadn't <laughs> thought about it quite until Jeff uh, put that in front of us on this program. And that is uh, all faculty complain about the burden of grading, how tough it is. But it's the same thing that our guest uh, has been doing for many years, which is at the end of the quarter, end of the uh, end of the year at least, but probably every quarter, maybe even every month, to give employees good feedback on how mm-hmm. they're doing. That's what performance comes from: is is not just doing it, but getting some feedback on how you were doing it and how you can make it better next time. Yeah, and I I, I hope that one of the opportunities mm-hmm. that we have here in in this discussion, um, and we will welcome uh, our guest in just a moment here, but. You know, I, I'm struck that the the ac- the academic calendar it <laughs> provides these pauses, mm-hmm. right? And Anne and I, with the staff yeah. in the leadership program, uh, just yesterday, said, you know what? It it's kind of like halftime if we think about this as a sporting event, right? We've <laughs> yeah. we've gotten through the first half. Some mm-hmm. things went really well. Some other mm-hmm. things, um, maybe not what mm-hmm. we expected. We had some surprises all, along the way. So what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, what did we learn from it? And what are the kinds of adjustments we want to make strategically, tactically, um, so that we can really take on the second half of the year, uh, you know, in a deliberate, intentional, yeah. impactful way? Yeah. In fact, Jeff, I just have to say that's one of the things I really appreciate about the academic calendar and sometimes wonder how how do people do it elsewhere? And we will ask our guests that because to have uh, punctuation built into the calendar that enables you to take a moment to stop, pause, think, and reflect about what has happened and what is coming up 
is really um, a just a wonderful gift that I, I hope we all do really embrace. So that's the challenge we have, judging by my own failed experience at the end of every <laughs> semester. I said I'm not going to get that far behind at the start of the next semester. But isn't that what leadership development is all about? And, you know, <laughs> Mike, hasn't Adam Grant written about the virtues of procrastination? He has, yes. <laughs> so I, you I think, might be yeah, in very yeah, good yeah, company. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think I he said better. it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, we get more diesel. We're, we're more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> uh, terror does have its advantages. <laughs> yes, that's right, terror. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's yes. bring our, breast, our, our guest, Brian McNeil, uh, into this conversation. Brian, you're the president and CEO of Touchpoint, and we want to say welcome to the studio. Thank you, Jeff. It's a great, great pleasure to be here with you today. All right. Let me, if I can, I'll, I'll say a couple words about you, and then um, we hope to get into what it, what will be a freewheeling conversation about uh, leadership, which, as you might have guessed from the title of our show, <laughs> is our main focus here. Uh, I feel like once a week, Mike and Ann and I get to get together, talk about our favorite topic, leadership, um, and do it in concert with uh, some really interesting guests. So thanks again for being here, Brian. Thank you. All right. So, um, Brian, you are the president and CEO of Touchpoint, and we'll spend a little bit more time understanding Touchpoint and the, the different mm -hmm. lines of business uh, that the organization is in. Um, you've had a long career, executive, executive vice president and corporate officer of Danaher Corporation, where you drove uh, growth for a billion-dollar group of, if I have this right, it was 20 different technology-based companies? It was, yeah. So, so you were leading 20 companies. I was not directly leading the day-to-day. -day. The presidents of those companies sure. were reporting to me. Yeah. Um, before that, you were a corporate officer, a group president at Ingersoll Rand Company. Um, again, double-digit growth and a billion dollars in revenue. Um, and in addition to being uh, a member of the board of directors of Touchpoint, you serve uh, on the board of advisors for the Berwyn Group, which is a diversified private invest investment management company, and you're a Class C director on the board of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. I am indeed. All right. So you recognize yourself within that introduction, right? So far, so good. All right. We got the right We're guy. Person. Right guy on Yay. the show. And Brian's in the studio with us today, which is um, just such a treat. We do some of these interviews by phone, um, always illuminating, but nice to sit and be able to share this time yeah. together. So thanks right. for making the trip to campus. Um, Brian, I'm going to start with a, a little bit of a playful question um, because here we are uh, on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Anne is wrapping up a, uh, a first semester with the 650-odd oh, uh, freshmen. I mean, they're not odd people, no, but 650-ish no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. freshmen here at the university. Mm -hmm. So if you would, think back to the Brian McNeil, who is 17, 18 years old, um, uh, as I rem as I recall, you were a Rutgers I University was. undergraduate, mm -hmm. um, studying engineering. I was. All right. What did seventeen or eighteen year old Brian McNeil think of a career that might unfold? Where Where did seventeen or eighteen year old Brian think you would be right now? I actually thought I would be in a similar type of role, and that mm -hmm. seventeen or eighteen Brian McNeil was his. A class president uh -huh. uh, hmm. uh, in high school for a number of years. And I was fortunate enough to have a father who was an educator, a, a PhD. Uh, I taught for 40 years at the Maritime University okay. in, in New York. 
What did he teach? He taught engineering. Okay. Hmm. He taught engineering as well as uh, engineering economics. And he always inspired us, one of seven children, always inspired us to continuously learn Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, drove a curiosity in us about learning. Uh, And so as as I had that uh, in in my high school, and I I always looked ahead and said, I wanted to lead. I don't know that I knew what leadership was. I I had the opportunity to serve in student government uh, in high school, but I did look out. I went the engineering route because I went through assessments and I was good in math and sciences. Uh, And I just knew that that would lead one day Uh, for me to have the opportunity huh. to run a business. That was sort of what the 18-year-old Brian Very McNeil cool. said. I want to run a company one day. And, um, and I'll, I'll take you back to some of these formative experiences. When, when you think about roles in, in student government, you know, kind of early um, high school, college, what were, um, what were some of the challenges? What were some of maybe the lessons that you learned in those roles that you carry with you today? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So you think back to all of our high school years, yeah. and there were many uh, subsections of students uh, uh, within the high school back in the 70s. I graduated in 1978, and I did realize I'm the president of the, 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 the school, the, the class. Mm-hmm. And while there might be, you know, jocks and uh, uh, nerds and, and mm-hmm. cool kids and uncool kids and all those things, you had to really bring those those different uh, uh, groups together, yeah. which which I viewed as a uh, challenge, and I really developed an empathy mm-hmm. to better understand where uh, different people came from uh, as a result of being yeah. in those roles. That's really interesting. Um, I mean, we we see that so often, even today, when you think about the diverse sets of stakeholders, um, customers, employees um, that any organization is going to serve. Um, And I wonder how you, you know, that that skill of developing empathy and feeling empathy for others, how do you feel like that shows up in, in your practice of leadership today? Well, I, I think first and foremost, what I always look to do is instill a sense of purpose okay. in people throughout the entire organization. We're in manufacturing and engineering. Yeah. We've got over 4,000 employees around the world. And when I'm uh, dealing with either executives who report to me or if I'm walking a shop floor, uh, I, I always want to instill a sense of purpose that what you're doing, hmm. whether that's assembling a product, you're operating a piece of machinery, you're working on a product campaign, you see the greater Mm -hmm. sense of purpose of what you're doing and that what you're doing makes a difference, Mm -hmm. not just for our customers, but we try to to create something larger that people, when they go home at night and they're sitting around the table, uh, they can share with their uh, family, this is what I do and here's why I do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always gotten great satisfaction in trying to create that uh, and instill a sense of purpose in people. Yeah. Will, um, will, will you tell us a little bit about Touchpoint as an organization? Sure. So Touchpoint, we are a privately held business based out of Philadelphia. Our origins go back to 1899 <laughs> uh, when the company was uh, a uh, producer of tube for the oil industry, which actually started in Pennsylvania when it was discovered in Titusville in 1859, and they needed tube to get the oil from the fields to the rail cars Mm -hmm. into Philadelphia. So three families got together. They founded the Southchester Tube Company, 
and they stayed in tube uh, right through the 1920s. And in that time, oil was discovered in the southwest United States, and most of the producers went down there. The company got into different lines and eventually evolved. A company by the name of Southgo was was born in 1945. As a matter of fact, in working with the University of Pennsylvania that was developing ENIAC, and they needed special hardware for ENIAC, and Mm -hmm. Southgo developed fasteners Mm -hmm. working with the University of Pennsylvania. I came along in uh, 20 years ago. I'm in my mm-hmm. 20th year as the CEO. And at the time, it was just Southgo. We were a global producer of, of access hardware. And as I got into the job, uh, having come from two Fortune 500 companies, I saw a wonderful opportunity to take what was a predominantly U.S.-based company, globalize it, and uh, 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 bring it around the world. Mm-hmm. And so today, uh, we've changed the name of the company to Touchpoint because mm-hmm. we do more than access hardware. We started that uh, business uh, eight years ago, and we have three platforms. We're the world leader in access hardware. What is access hardware? It's locks, latches, hinges, captive fasteners. That's the physical aspect of what we do. The emotional mm-hmm. aspect is we uh, differentiate the touch points of other people's products. So. You touch our products every day, whether it's in your car, on a boat, in a, in a, a hospital, they're, they're all over. Right. And financially, we're like an insurance company. We write specifications, and those specifications get locked in, and then we have annuity streams mm-hmm. based off the life or the, of a platform. It could be two years if it's a computer, could be five years if it's a car, 15 if it's a piece of Caterpillar equipment, and 40 years if it's an airplane. So that's our access hardware business. We're also a world leader in healthcare. Mm-hmm. We have two lines of businesses. We mobilize med device technology mm-hmm. under a company called ITD. We're one of the world's largest producers of uh, medical carts and uh, uh, arms that uh, uh, move equipment within hospital settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other uh, line we have is in the point of care. We produce carts that are known as workstations on wheels for nurses. And then we do med management. We produce intelligent equipment that dispenses meds and narcotics in uh, healthcare settings. And then our final line of business is intelligent vending and inventory management. We, uh, uh, it's a software company, essentially, mm-hmm. that marries up with, with hardware that we make smart. You'll see this in industrial and institutional settings. We help people manage both high-value assets as well as consumables. Mm-hmm that uh, if you don't pay attention to them, you can go through a lot of them, and this provides accountability as well as real-time tracking and automated uh, 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 refulfillment sure. of those items. Yeah. So that's, um, that's Touchpoint, and we're here speaking with Brian McNeil, who's the president and CEO of Touchpoint. Uh, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein, and I'm in the studio with Ann Greenhall and Mike Yusim. Over to you, Ann. Great. Uh, Again, Brian, so nice to have you here. Uh, I'm very interested in linking what you said earlier in your conversation with Jeff about instilling a sense of purpose in the people who work with you and your description of Touchpoint. I love the name, by the way. (laughs) I'd love to know. (laughs) Did you come up with that name? I did. You did. Okay. And in my mind, it captures both the physical and the emotional Mm -hmm. side. You know, that it could be literally a fastener, but it could also just be that um, 
uh, invisible point of in- intersection. Mm-hmm. So how how would you go about instilling a sense of mission in the people who are making fasteners? Yeah, so it really starts with what's the overall vision and mission of the organization. And the company had been around for a long time. It had uh, certainly strong uh, cultural aspects. Uh, there was a vision. There was a mission. A couple things we did. Pretty simple. One is we, we I took the leadership team aside and to say, um, let's take a look at where we're going and what our vision and mission is. We updated that uh, a little bit. Uh, and this came on the heels of the tech bubble bursting. Back at the time that I came into the company in October of 2000, uh, the tech industry was 45% of our revenues. In December of 2000, that mm. imploded. Tech purchases dropped by 80%. Mm. Uh, so our business dropped by a little over 30%. We had to have a reduction in force, uh, punch people in the stomach unexpectedly. And I realized, oh, my gosh, new CEO comes in, new VP of HR, mm. and uh, – uh, a disaster hits, not mm-hmm. that it had to do with us. Right. And so we said, right. I said, we need to go on record with what we stand for, what this organizational mm-hmm. stands for. So it started with making sure we could reinstate the vision and the mission. And then we looked and said, what's our culture? And everybody said, well, here's our culture. It's <laughs> it's one thing or another, but it had never been documented. Mm-hmm. So we actually documented that into seven core cultural beliefs. Oh, great. And then we married that with uh, leadership principles. And we really we brought on the leadership challenge uh, 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 workshops and uh, put all of our associates through that training so that we had a common language <laughs> around what does leadership mean, what are the values that we aspire to be and where is it that uh, we're going and then what we tried to do is to take that and to bring it right down to the shop floor Mm -hmm. Uh, not only in terms of the values but where are these parts going that you're making and why does that make a difference uh, to our our end customers and the many jobs that are created along the way. Mm, very good. Uh, and I'll hand over to Mike in just a second. Can you just give us those seven uh, cultural values? Did I hear that right? You did. Okay. You did. I'm curious. Can you rattle them off? I, I better be able to okay. rattle them off, right? <laughs> so, uh, so one is uh, unquestionable integrity okay. and professionalism. And that really was number one by, by design. We mm-hmm. said that at the end of the day, uh, our integrity uh, is is one of those values that stands the test of time that we've got to be crystal clear about. The second is a passion to create customer value. A third is the strength of our global community. So creating a global business isn't easy. People yeah. say, well, I'm global. Uh, it, it's it goes well beyond that, and we really work hard every day to to connect those dots because many of our customers truly are global. They produce, they design, they sell their products all over the world. We try to mirror our footprint with uh, uh, with with our customers' um, uh, footprint uh, as well. Uh, we uh, aspire to be diverse. Uh, in uh, uh, all that we do, we're results uh, oriented, and uh, in, in, uh, results orientation is extremely uh, important to us. We believe in continuing uh, education and making sure that you continue to sharpen, uh, sharpen the saw, and then we believe in, in encouraging the heart. 
and thanking mm. people, being appreciative oh, for what, what people do. That's so great. And I believe you just passed the final exam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Seven <laughs> Mike, seven. that was easy. <laughs> and I think Brian prepared. <laughs> so, uh, Brian, I'm going to pick up on Anne's uh, line of thought with a, kind of a close-in personal question on this issue of purpose. I hear two arguments out there, and let me make the two arguments into a spectrum. Uh, one end of the spectrum, I he hear people say, when it comes to stating why we're going, where we're going, what we're going to do when we get there, you can't overstate that. There's no such thing right. as being too repetitive. The other end of the spectrum is it can sound kind of corny if you're talking about purpose when, in fact, you're going to work and you're moving parts around from one room to another. So with that as a spectrum, how did you – where do you put yourself personally in the way and the frequency with which you convey purpose, not only to your direct reports, but no doubt the board of directors and no doubt the frontline people on the floor? So where, where are you on that one? Well, I can tell you early on, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I was a 10. You were a 10, okay. Uh, in reinforcing mm -hmm. that. And I uh, would, fr I still do, frequently travel around the world, would go to all three shifts, and I led every meeting, every update with, mm -hmm. here's our vision, here's our no. mission, here's our values, here's our leadership principles. And I found you can't reinforce that yeah. enough, in particular mm -hmm. from the top. Uh, today, because I'm, I don't run the day-to-day -day businesses, the CEOs report to me, I don't have the frequency mm -hmm. of touch that I did when I was running an operating company. Having said that, there's nothing more important I can do than to continue to reinforce yep. uh, the cultural values and beliefs of the company from the board, through our associates, through our shareholders. That's great. So, Brian, in picking up on that, You've been doing that for 20 years, and you do that extensively and intensively. I, I, I love to hear um, about your method, and listeners make mental note of that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the world has changed enormously from mm -hmm. the one you came into 20 years ago. So while you continue with a lot of continuity, reporting what the purpose and what the mission is, at the same time, you got to operate differently, and the people that you hire have to be different from 10 years ago. Yes. So how do you think about renewing yourself and your method and your leadership at the firm? Uh, great question. So two, two aspects to that. One is um, if we look at the world, everywhere we go, I will get up in front of them. We have employees in 27 countries. I will say... We love the Germans. We love the Chinese. We love the Brazilians. We love the Indians. We love et cetera, et cetera. And we celebrate the cultural uniqueness of everywhere we operate. Having said that, our core values of our company trump the local cultural values. Now, we think they travel pretty well around the world. If they didn't, I wouldn't say that. So we make it really clear we, we operate uh, globally. We've got uh, uh, associates in many countries around the world. But in terms of how we hire, how we motivate, how we decide whether or not you're a good fit, it really comes down to the uh, uh, values of the, of the, of, of, of the company. Uh, so that's uh, critically important. Your question maybe is, second point of that is uh, the generational changes that are going on. Uh, this mm -hmm. past year, 
uh, we eclipsed over 50% of our associates are now millennials. <laughs> and we, we, tr we track that every year. I have a pie chart that I'm able to look at of, of all of our associates, and then we break it down by function of about five different demographic groups. And uh, yes, millennials are different than boomers who are, who are uh, leaving the workforce, as we know, in massive numbers every day as they retire. But the core values really are no different uh, over time. How you deliver them might be different. So, as an example, I used to do a weekly, um, I used to do a weekly uh, voice um, uh, mail at the end of every week, and I would just summarize for everybody around the world that they know on Monday morning they come in and here's a voicemail from the CEO. My predecessor now does a blog. And delivers that in a in a different different way than than I had uh, delivered that. We clearly uh, are using social media in a much more uh, active way than we did 20 years ago. You have to be on social media, not just for your customers, but for your your associates. Uh, you've got to provide developmental opportunities, uh, even more so, I think, uh, today than than 20 years ago, and a clear pathway forward. Uh, as we know, with the unemployment situation here in the United States, as well as around the world, being as low as it is, it's not going to get any better if you, we look at the demographics. So I say to the millennials that there will be more opportunities in the next 5 to 15 years of, for growth and leadership positions than maybe ever because of the number of people who will be leaving uh, the workforce over that period of time. Yep. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> it's the benefit of radio. That's what Are that just was right there. No, I'm back. I, I might have dropped half my pen on the floor. <laughs> okay. Um, Brian, I, uh, we're going to go to break in a couple minutes here. But but before we do, I, I wanted to ask you something and, and just make sure we kind of spell out the, the difference for our listeners. You had said before you're a privately held company. And so, you know, a, a lot of um, the business press is about publicly held companies, right? And um, analysts and Wall Street and um, quarterly expectations, et cetera. How does it change um, from a leadership perspective when you are the CEO of a privately held company? And, and what opportunities does it afford you? Sure. So for me, it was dramatically different. Yeah. My first 20 years were with two Fortune 500 companies as, as an officer of both those companies, and you certainly learn great discipline mm -hmm. growing up in that environment. Last 20 years with a privately held company in Touchpoint and then with Berwind also being a privately held investment management business. We view ourselves as long-term investors, right? So what does that mean? Right. Uh, and it took me several years to make the transformation. Mm -hmm. um, we do not manage the company for the month for the quarter, or for the year. Wow. We really look out and say, what are we doing? Are we positioning the company to be strong over three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? Now, that doesn't mean I don't want to win every day, right. because I do. Right. And we all, we all want to win every day, but we're, we try not to myopically make decisions because of some short-term impact uh, going on uh, in the business. And we manage the company conservatively, not over being over leveraged. Uh, that allows us to to get through mm -hmm. any bumps uh, that we would see in the marketplace. But the the big difference is really looking out and saying, are we doing the right things today to be where we want to be in five years? 
and I have a board that backs that 150 percent. That's great. Um, Brian, both for you in, in building and cultivating management teams over the course of your career, as well as um, now as CEO of Touchpoint, thinking about the different companies, the o- different operating companies in your portfolio, um, I, I'll just distill it down to kind of the bottom line here. In, in your experience, what makes a great management team? So, you know, I think it, if I were to boil it down to one word, it's trust. Mm. Trust in one another. So in, in our businesses, manufacturing and engineering, a, a typical team would have a, a leader, mm-hmm. would have a CFO, an operations director, a sales director, a HR, uh, legal, uh, marketing, um, and then regional uh, people that are running around the world. So you want to have... Uh, uh, to make sure that everybody is competent in their respective areas of functional expertise. Mm-hmm. That is, I'll, I'll put that as a given. Yeah, it's kind of table stakes. Table stakes. So then when you're coming around a table and you're managing a global business, you certainly want to recognize everybody's competencies. But when you're around that table, you want to set the tone that it's okay for somebody in a different functional area to come into your space, mm-hmm. either with questions or uh, uh, comments, uh, something that they may have heard that they may not be an expert at, Mm -hmm. but that might be different from what they're hearing. And to be able to do that where that functional expert doesn't get offended, if you will, by somebody coming into his or her space, which is very typical of what what will happen there. And uh, when that, by setting that tone, and the reason the trust is so important is I always tell these teams, the thousand eyes are always on us. Doesn't matter what we say, it is they are watching every move we make, and if there is any sense of misalignment, which comes back to trust, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the underlying message that the CEO is trying to send out, or the general manager of a business, people just don't believe it. If you can't align that team, and I, I come back to why trust is that team has got to come together and realize that, yes, I'm bringing whatever particular area of functional uh, uh, excellence that I have and and expertise, but business doesn't work in functions. It works across functions. It works across the world. And you've got to set that as as a safe zone. Having said all that, you've got to allow for conflict. I always say if there's no conflict, then we're not pushing hard enough uh, to, to, to drive progress. So what a team has to do is decide when there is conflict, what are the agreed upon rules on how we resolve conflict? Not let's avoid conflict. Conflict is good, providing that it's manageable conflict, and then how do we manage that? And it, 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 a team doesn't magically come together and trust one another. It takes time. It takes experiences, much like the experiences that you give the Wharton students mm-hmm. here with uh, their uh, outbound um, uh, e- uh, experiences and leadership experiences. Yeah. Mike, what would you add here? Yeah, uh, Brian, uh, two related questions here. Uh, first, going back to the comments uh, Jeff made at the outset that in addition to running Touchpoint, you do serve as a director of the Federal Reserve of Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. And it's, uh, it's not an obvious question, but it's a question I think that many of us kind of have in the back of our head. 
Uh, why did you take time to do that when running a company and whatever it is, uh, 80,000 customers yeah. and 100 different companies, you've got a, a full day. So in deciding to serve the country as a director of, of uh, the, the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, what was in your thinking that led you to say, yes, you would serve as a director? So there were two things in my thinking. One was uh, in understanding how the Fed system works, I felt as though I could contribute yeah. and bring my yeah. expertise in manufacturing and engineering around the global economy mm -hmm. to the boardroom mm -hmm. uh, as far as giving real-time information as to w what's happening. Uh, and secondly, I viewed it as an opportunity to learn and to meet people that I would not normally meet in my my current sphere. So I've had an opportunity uh, I have, uh, in my sixth year on the Fed. I'm currently the chairman of the board of the Philadelphia Fed. I will step off at the end of this year. You serve two three-year term limits, and it is public service. But as with many of these, you get more out of it than you mm -hmm. you, you put into it, and it has just been a a fantastic experience. Just your your audience might want to know this. Uh, why is it important that the Fed is constructed the way that it is with 12 regional banks, each with nine directors who feed information into uh, the Fed system? So there's many, uh, hundreds of uh, PhD economists at the Fed. They do a wonderful job in digging deep into a lot of data, understanding what's happened and where they think it's going to go. The nine directors, 108 around the system, then provide real-time anecdotal uh, input as to what it, we are seeing on the streets around the world in a variety of industries. And those two pieces coming together, the analytical um, uh, 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 analysis with real-time anecdotal feedback mm -hmm. and what you know gets said at these tables stays at these tables because some mm -hmm. people run publicly held businesses uh, and it uh, it has just been extremely rewarding to be a part of that uh, that uh, system. So, Brian, I love the implication. And here's a quick question uh, building on it. The implication is uh, learning is pretty much <laughs> lifelong. You are yeah. a student here. <laughs> Absolutely. But you're, you're still at it uh, a couple years later. And in addition to working with uh, people at the Federal Reserve, you no doubt have a few other places where you have learned a lot outside the company. Mm-hmm on how to better run the company. So wh what are some of the other sources of continuous learning, best practice acquisition, and so on? So I think there's a number of things. I am somebody who learns by doing. That is my, uh, uh, do I read? I read as much as I can. I, 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 I love reading uh, biographies. I love reading books. I love reading uh, uh, current information. Uh, and with the Fed, uh, you can you can't imagine how much information we get that uh, gets mm. sent to us. Fortunately, I learned here at Wharton 25 plus years ago <laughs> that the knowledge of universe to learn is just way too big. You're never going to take it all yeah. in, so you've got to uh, know the 80/20 law. A and B, you have to depend upon other people. Mm. Uh, so uh, through both uh, uh, constant uh, on-the-job learning, we we are very acquisitive at uh, Touchpoint and Berwyn, so we're always bringing new businesses into the fold. Uh, serving on outside boards like Berwyn has been extremely helpful. I've been there for uh, almost 20 years. And uh, and then staying involved in continuing education. I've been blessed to stay connected with Wharton over the years, to come and speak with uh, uh, the MBA students, 
learn what they're uh, learning and to hear what their concerns are. Uh, and then d just having a network that you develop over a long career of people that you can pick the phone up. It's great. Hmm. Uh, Brian, I'm hmm. just wondering, uh, to just pull a thread back from the beginning of the hour, uh, you talked about the values, the seven values, beginning with integrity and ending with gratitude. You also talked about leadership principles, and we've been talking, Jeff raised the question about your team, your executive team, and Mike's talking about uh, board service and things that you've learned. So would you just tie those conversations to the leadership principles that you've embedded into Touchpoint? Sure. So the, the leadership principles are fairly well known. This is uh, from the Leadership Challenge, a uh, book by um, Kuzis and, and, and Posner. Posner. Yep. So it starts with modeling the way, and uh, that if you're going to lead, you're going to lead by example. Second leadership principle is to inspire a vision. Let the organization know where, where are we going and why is that uh, important. Uh, in inspiring that vision, you have to enable others to act. Uh, uh, fourth principle is to challenge the process. Don't accept everything that is uh, uh, put in front of you. And finally, uh, to encourage the heart. And so we, we ha actually have uh, – we've taken that. We've put that in a leadership uh, course for all of our associates. Mm -hmm. And those are the five principles, and there's a lot underneath all of sure. those that are uh, really extremely important. I, I, when I graduated from Wharton in uh, 1994, I wrote a letter to some people that were very important to me, and I said, I learned three things at the Wharton School, <laughs> okay. and I want to thank you for your support. Number one <laughs> is a bumper sticker. If you think education is important, try ignorance. And, I, and I, I, it really stuck home with me because at the time, I had to get uh, sponsorship, and as you all know, there's great value here, but there was quite a, a price tag to come mm -hmm. here. And uh, what I realized was that price tag is nothing <laughs> compared to bad decisions <laughs> that leaders can make. Totally. Mm -hmm. And that, that bumper sticker really stuck out with me. If you think education's importance, try ignorance. The second thing I realized, back to the 80-20 law, is you've got to surround yourself with good people. As a leader, mm -hmm. you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. You can't know it all. You can't do it all. So you've really got to raise the bar and make sure that you surround yourself with excellent people. And then the third tenet, which is something my dad taught me, is that you, you've got to be a continuous learner, uh, and, and education just has to be a part of your life forever. Uh, my children will tell you that I would drive them crazy when they were younger because if we were out, it didn't matter where we were. I'd yeah. always ask, how you doing and what's selling, what's not selling, what, 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 what are customers telling you in the department store, in, a, in an ice cream store. And it's remarkable what you can learn. The nuggets are everywhere. So great. So, uh, Brian, was there something in your journey that surprised you? You know, you you said that when you were in high school, you were class president, and you knew you wanted to run a company. So you must have had some idea of what the future would look like. What What do you think, in retrospect, was the biggest surprise along the way? So I'd say there were two things. Uh, one, I became a manager at a relatively young age. Uh, maybe I was in my late 20s. And I had a lot on my plate. And I didn't know this, but I was a pretty good multitasker. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and uh, got my first 360. And what came back was, uh, Brian, you don't listen well. Not a good listener. And I thought I was a pretty good listener. But I realized that I would have somebody in the office, would be behind my desk, and there'd just be stuff to get done. And I changed my behavior. Mm -hmm. And I would say that was probably the most impactful thing I have done in my career is to become an active listener. Now, if my wife were here, <laughs> she'd probably say you still have some work to do. It's life, lifelong learning. It's, it's lifelong, lifelong learning. learning. <laughs> Progress, no, but, not but perfection. But on a quite, quite serious note, um, simple. Somebody comes in, get out from behind your desk. Mm -hmm. No distractions. And, and I think it's more important today than it even was 30 years ago mm -hmm. when I discovered that uh, to be true. The second, uh, I think, uh, aha moment I had, this was before Warden, I was going through executive training, wonderful man, Tom Stevens, he had an executive coaching practice, and he was the one that said, you know, management and leadership is a science, and it can be learned. Mm -hmm. Yes, are there natural oh. attributes that people have? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I just always thought, I was a good leader, and I, I don't. I didn't necessarily know what that meant. You know what 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 the fundamentals of leadership were, and he opened up my mind around management and leadership being a science, and that it's something that you can learn. And I began to take what he told me and put it into practice, and it worked. <laughs> and great. like anything, it became a muscle <laughs> that uh, I continued, and still to this day, yeah. continue to work on. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> I'll just remind our listeners, uh, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm Jeff Klein, and we're talking with Brian McNeil, who's the president and CEO of Touchpoint Incorporated. Um, Brian, as we started the show, I was um, kind of half-joking, half-serious with, with Mike and Ann and talking about this being half-time of the academic year, right, and mm -hmm. a, a chance to sort of step back reflect recharge and get ready for um get ready for the next semester right i'm curious as as you sort of think about that metaphor um both for yourself as a person as well as for the organization how do you create the opportunities to reflect recharge um and reorient maybe for the time ahead knowing that mm. as far as i can tell um most businesses don't get a semester break. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, they don't. And I think, uh, you know, it's something I, I, I've taken quite seriously, and I've talked yeah. to MBA students here about the importance to stay in good health. Yeah. Mm. So I have been a runner my whole mm. life. I, I'm a marathon runner. Oh. Uh, and uh, when you do, uh, people do what I do and travel around the world, you have a lot of dinners, a lot of breakfasts, yeah. a lot of lunches. Yep. And what I found was if you don't stay in good physical, uh, mental, and spiritual shape yeah. uh, and keep uh, yourself, have an awareness around that, you're not going to have the ability to inspire and lead other people. Uh, and that the energy that, that you as a leader um, uh, emit mm -hmm. and people feed off of, mm -hmm. at least for me, mm -hmm. uh, I find that... Um, uh, being in 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 good shape, high energy makes a tremendous yeah. uh, difference, mm -hmm. and I, it's just an awareness I have. So uh, I, I say, boy, if I could wave a wand, what would I do more of today? I I, I really wish I had more time to 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 focus on that. Mm -hmm. 
uh, because it's an enabler. Uh, you sometimes feel like, well, I'm not doing a particular task, but you really are enabling yourself. And I think that is critically important for as hard as, as uh, leaders run uh, today. Mm-hmm. And is there, um, is there a parallel when you think about you know, a, a management team or even a whole operating company that, that there's a, a similar kind of activity, activity or a similar kind of ritual that can be used to recharge a whole team? Well, you know, one of, one of the areas that uh, I find is gives great recharge, and I, again, I learned this from from Warden. I, I give all the credit is when I was a manager prior to going through the program, mm-hmm. and I was younger. Most people were older. I felt I had to have all the answers. I'm the manager. I have the title, mm-hmm. and not that I ever faked it, but I felt like I, I wasn't good if I didn't have the answer. I came out of Wharton and said, I don't need to have the answers. I got to have the questions. I got to learn to listen. And that, again, made such a big difference. So how does that link to your question about energy? I get such joy and such energy at seeing other people grow. And I had to, tr- I had to retrain myself to be the last person to speak around the table. And to not okay. now the only exception is if there's a burning platform. Yeah. If <laughs> yes. if the ship is taken on water, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. then it's a different leadership style that kicks in. Mm-hmm. But under quote unquote normal uh, circumstances, uh, listening, asking questions is a great refresher uh, for me. That's great. Mike, a final question. Yeah, uh, Ryan, we're just about out of time here, and I think as a kind of a pull, a lot of things together. Question goes. Remember who you were at age 20. And for those listeners who are somewhere in that age range, 15 to maybe 30, 35, benefit of looking back with uh, probably some false steps, but a lot of right steps moving in the right direction. What advice would you have for a listener who obviously are not going to replicate what you did exactly, but they would like to make a difference in the world? So to that 20-year-old, I can say to you that your future and the opportunities that you're going to have looking out over the next 10 to 20 to 40 years are greater than the ones that my generation has had. Mm. Uh, The problems are just as big, if not bigger. You've got um, millions of leaders that are exiting the workforce around the world. Uh, And I have no doubt in my mind that uh, for those that want to go after uh, that, uh, you will be greatly rewarded. Now, that doesn't come without a price. The price being... Um, And again, I go back to one of my Wharton professors, and I quote this often, around strategy. So here's your strategy, 20-year-old. Have clear objectives. Just writing down your goals, which most people don't do, that gets you more than halfway there. Just writing them down. Writing them down. So A, have clear objectives. Two, you got to know your surrounding environment. If you want to take the, the flag on the hill, and this is a quoting my professor from 30, 27 years ago, if you want to take the flag on the hill, you've got to know what's between me and the hill. And the third thing, and this is where companies and individuals fail, uh, are you willing to pay the price in terms of resources and effort? You have an objective. You know what's between you and your objective. Can you realis- realistically set out here are the resources I need, here's the effort that I need, including help from others. And that's really what you've got to think through. Set those goals. Share them with a handful of people. Um, That in and of itself will create uh, momentum. And then really map out what it's going to take for you to get there and just step by step, methodically 
uh, go through that. You're not going to do it by yourself. You've got to have mentors. You've got to have people that will help you. I certainly had them. I know all of you here in the room uh, had them uh, as well. All right. Brian, we've really enjoyed the chance to yeah. chat with you here today. Um, as always, the hour has flown by. Right. So um, <laughs> please know you have a standing invitation to come back and join us in the studio anytime. Thank you. Great pleasure. Oh, thank, thank you, Brian. Brian. Terrific. Um, and a uh, final question for you. For our listeners who want to learn more about Touchpoint, um, how could they do so? They can go online at uh, www.touchpointinc.com. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Mike, Anne, we have uh, just a moment or two here, but a time for our traditional after-action review of the show. I'm going to start off and just um, give you both some feedback. I, I thought you did great. <laughs> I thought you were just... <laughs> well, the just, questions were good? Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you had a, a listening poise. I mean, just in that that sort of theme. But <laughs> So, Anne, we, we, we got a passing grade. But tell me, give, give me, give our listeners um, a headline, a, a kernel of wisdom um, from this conversation that, that you'll take with you uh, and and keep thinking about and talking about. All right, I'm ready. Well, I asked I asked Brian about uh, what surprised Brian along the way. He had an idea, I run a company, picture of that. But what was surprising? And the takeaway that I have from that: two lessons: listen and learn. I've got the same one, and I like Brian's <laughs> ability to communicate the need to be looking at the earth from 30,000 feet up, mm -hmm. but also you're still on earth and you've got to have devices, tactics, just methods to get to where you're going. Case in point, he did say that he learned over time the, the vital importance of listening. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got to work with that. You've got to turn that into reality. But uh, learning to listen, that's from 20,000 or 30,000 feet on the ground is you've got to be the last person to speak yeah. in the room. Mm. So lofty ideas and concrete tactics, I think that's what life is all about. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. you, Jeff? Thanks, well, for, I mean, for me, I, I'll mm. go back. This won't surprise either of you. You know me very well. Um, you know, but it, it, it's this notion of trust being at mm. the core of great yes. teamwork, yes. right? And, and trust meaning that we have uh, mm -hmm. enough strength in our relationship mm -hmm. that I will welcome you into my domain. Mm -hmm. I'll welcome you into those places where I feel expert because I know that you'll ask questions mm -hmm. that will make me yeah. better. And also where you feel vulnerable. Yeah. Right? Which is a wonderful thing. And yeah. thank you, Jeff. You do do that. <laughs> well, thank you for being vulnerable, Jeff. <laughs> I just want to thank our listeners for joining our weekly love fest here Therapy on session. Leadership in Action. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we're a team. We, we, hit, we, we hit the heart many times here <laughs> we um, do. once again. So to our listeners, thank you for joining us uh, once again this week. If you had a question, if you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Be sure to follow our show on our new Twitter handle. It's at SXM Business. That's at SXM Business. Once again, a special thank you to our guest, Brian McNeil, the president and CEO of Touchpoint Incorporated. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 